You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from the third format, everyone's favorite buzzsaw. Vocal Fam, we are very excited. It's always our delight to have friends on and Vocal Fam mm-hmm. on, and uh, we hope that if you are an academic, you are about to the point where you're going to dance in the ashes of the academic year, that we all had to wear masks and make online music and random things of this nature. Um, but we are here with our dear friend, Chadley Ballantyne. Um, it's actually hard for me to believe that this is your fourth appearance on the show. Whoa. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> this ties you with Ian. Um, you're both very far behind Josh. Sorry, mm. but we—that's—that's that's because of our Picard PhD segments. But um, uh, no, but but uh, Chadley, welcome to Vocal Fry. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I yeah, I can't think of a better way to spend a Saturday morning than hanging oh, out right. with you all. Absolutely. Well, we're Honored. excited. Um, I, I've been wanting to to feature Chadley for a bit, and uh, glad we could finally do it. So, hey, how's the academic year ended? <laughs> uh, the as we're approaching this final week for us here, uh, the end is either near or nigh, and it That's feels ex- like it's nigh. <laughs> Let me tell you, you know, we wrapped up classes this week, and it was like every week the past three and a half weeks. Has, I was just telling Sarah, like 2020 felt like it was 13 years long. But like April of 2021 felt like it was a good seven years long or something like that. Because we, it was like, how many things could we keep just jamming into this month? Mm-hmm. How many recitals did you have in the studio? This, this, uh, this. In the studio, let's see, uh, we had five junior recitals and a senior recital. <laughs> um, and that happened between March 25th and April 25th. Um, so it was pretty intense. Um, I'm looking ahead to next year and I think I've calculated this right. I think I have 10 senior recitals and three junior recitals next year. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah. So, um, I'm going to get very familiar with my Barbara Dosher, uh, from studio to stage, uh, repertoire book. more familiar than I already am with it, but it's it's been really fun. We had uh, two recitals that featured all works by female composers. Nice. Um, we we had we had everything from um, from Purcell to Webern, and uh, we had some really cool uh, new works, some commissioned works on those recitals. Mm. Um, and it it even though it was. A really tough year. It was it was a really wonderful way to to finish out the year with some great singing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, yeah, it was great just getting to wrap it up. You know, just even for for me, just getting to do just last recording sessions with the, with the students this week. You know, and just um, I was really disappointed. One of my students made incredible progress this term and then was sick all week and so couldn't record. Uh, um, I felt thanks. really bad for her, but um, anyway, we do our best, right? You know, yeah. Well, I had one student who, uh, um, and, and <laughs> with, on my advice, the, the question was they had a chance to get their first round of the vaccine, oh. but the day that they could get it was the day before the, recital. the junior recital. 
<laughs> like you get the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> and and then the next day, like they were feeling pretty rough. And uh, and but we came in to kind of vocalize, get ready to go. I'm like, nope, I'm doing this. I've got, I'm doing this. And <laughs> and then them. just then just rock the house at their recital. <laughs> so that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, different people have. Uh, this particular student is one of those sopranos that if they get the sniffles, like they can't all falls apart for a week. And so I mean, it's just it, it happens to some. Everybody's yeah. response, body response is different. Anyway, uh, Ch- Chadley, how did you sort of you know we're going to talk about things like you know your awesome role in the acoustic vocal pedagogy workshop at NEC and all this kind of thing and and vibro tactile stuff. But like, how did you get like wh- where where did you start? What what's your singing background? Sure. So um, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in southern Iowa on a farm. And I have memories from a very young age, like second grade, of thinking, I want to be a music professor. But unfortunately, I knew just instinctively that uh, farm boys from southern Iowa weren't allowed into that field of work. Uh, that was, that was... <laughs> amazing. Yes. So I don't know why I have this experience in second grade, but there it is. I like it. And then... Um, as I was going through high school, I was like, I was, you know, I was in everything because it was a small school that had lots of opportunities. And uh, I was getting up ready to go to college. And uh, my high school choir director is like, well, you should really audition for some music programs and for vocal performance. I was like, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, sure. Um, and uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to go to college for, except that I wanted to go to college. And I ended up getting some offers to go to school for vocal performance and really fell in love with uh, the program at Drake University during my college visits. And um, and I don't know why I didn't realize vocal performance was something you could major in when I wanted to be a music instructor my entire life. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I ended up going to Drake for vocal performance. And then I did my graduate work at the University of Illinois. And after <clears throat> I, I ended my like um, comprehensive exams and all that, um, and moved to Chicago right as we were entering the big recession in like 2009. Yeah. Right. And um, the the music school that I was uh, hired to start teaching at, um, as I left the safety of graduate school, they closed the day I was supposed to start. Ah. And um, so it was an interesting way to just kind of dive in during a really rough time. Um, and, uh, I just started taking on any kind of teaching work and performance work that I could find in the area and started building from there. And within a couple of years, um, I was working in some independent studios and some schools across the Chicago area, um, teaching. 40 students a week and then within another year I was up to like 50 and and 1.70 students actively taking lessons and then performing with companies around the upper Midwest and uh you and Kari Reagan I don't like like where are the hours in a day like like when I I think my upper threshold I ever hit was like I was teaching about 30 students in a week and I thought I was going to 
go crazy. <laughs> so well, I, when a slow day is ten lessons. Uh, <laughs> 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 Tell you what, it's quite a learning experience. I, I at one point I was like, my heavy days were fifteen to twenty lessons, uh, and um, I would go from eight a.m. till nine p.m. What it sounds like, yeah, mm -hmm. to fit that in. Yeah, and a lot of these lessons were half hour, but it got to the point where I could really feel the difference between a 22-minute lesson and a 25-minute lesson, like how much work we could get in and that those that three-minute difference had a huge impact on how I would pace the lesson and how Good the lesson felt. Night. And... It was such a, I mean, I, at one point I realized like, I can't keep this up for the rest of my life. Like this is not sustainable. I, I think I've got a couple more years of this before I completely am wrecked. But, but on the other hand, I was also just learning all these really great lessons about um, how to phrase every instruction. Mm. Like I started developing a style of kind of teaching in modules where instead of the student walking in the door and singing for me and then me critiquing what was wrong and trying to make them sound better, each day they would walk in the door and know that we had one to three ideas we were going to work on and that we would learn, we would take a task and or an exercise or, or some kind of tool, learn how to use it and then apply it in the rep. And that would happen within 25 minutes. And so what I started to realize was that it made the lesson experience a much safer, more positive environment. Because each time they walked in the door, it's like, I'm going to learn something new today rather than I'm going to have my singing critiqued. Fascinating. And, and then it made, I would take like two or three of these and then teach them just 70 times in a week. Wow. And by um, and by the end of that week, I had really refined like which verb I would use, which, <clears throat> which descriptors I would use for different yeah. students, yeah. how I would pace it, how I would sequence it to make it progressively harder, how I would connect over to music or learn that, oh, this was only 50. This only worked with 50 percent of my students. I need to rethink this or mm -hmm. try something else. Amazing. Okay. And um, that's that's really served me well um, in like kind of quickly building rapport with students, working in master classes, working in interviews, um, just having like not tricks, but like a very kind of um, learning based approach, I would say, instead of a critique based approach mm -hmm. um, yeah. and and very kind of systematically uh, diving in and giving students time. This is something I appreciated when I, um, a friend of mine I took lessons with in Chicago when I moved there who kind of really got me pointed in the right direction, kind of saved me vocally. Um, we would just take time to explore a concept rather than just rush through it and, but then progressively make, make it more and more challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and I really appreciated having that time to like try and like fail. And so I like that in my teaching style of like concentrating on a couple of key things within a lesson, but then using them for a lot of different challenges. Sure. That's great. 
So, so yeah, that, that was where I really, like, it was really tough, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. That experience of just teaching so many lessons. I did that for about eight, nine, maybe 10 years. Um, and, um, was performing, um, with companies in the Chicago area and the upper Midwest. And, uh, and then I started in the second half of that time, I started teaching at more and more colleges. So taking on adjunct work at community colleges, then universities and teaching a wide range of styles. My background is in classical singing, but I was teaching mostly musical theater and rock singing Mm -hmm. in the Chicago area and some classical. Um, So I was working with a really wide range of students, like middle school through emerging professional. And um, it was just really a, a wide range of experiences really pushed me to to understand a lot more styles outside of just my classical background. Yeah. And um, then I took a position at the University of Northern Colorado. Uh, We picked up everything and moved to Colorado. I was there for a year. And then three years ago now, um, took a position here at Stetson University down in Central Florida. Good old Deland, Florida. Yeah. (laughs) So I've been now more focused on classical technique again, but uh, we're at the point where I'm starting to add some music theater into the repertoire here. And I'm still working with some rock and theater singers in my private teaching. Sure. Awesome. Sure. Um, So, you know, I mean, first of all, what incredible experience having that kind of you know, you want to talk about Sarah, as we talked about in our Now You're a Voice Teacher series, you want to talk about earning your sea legs. I was going to say, talk about going through the fire. 10 years of uh, <laughs> that kind of private studio, you want to talk about getting your sea legs. Is, uh, but I love how you strategized it. I mean, that's that's awesome. I mean, what an, what an incredible uh, well, model. I, for... I was going to say, I love the module approach because you mentioned you taught younger singers and I teach mostly younger singers. And it's something I've started to realize recently is most of them, like a lot of times we're working on a song, preparing something but I've realized that a lot of times they're not recognizing like, hey, what we do in this song, like this technique, you can apply it to every song. So I kind of wonder like if I went in with that approach of like, hey, let's work these different things and then apply it to the song if it might click because they're just, they're young, they're like in middle school. Like if that might help them go ahead and jump to, oh, I can do this with all songs. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I saw that for sure and I, like made little practice tracks like I had (laughs) that I had that I put up on SoundCloud for them. And um, yeah, I had one, the, I had the daily 20 for treble singers and, um, and uh, so it was like a 20 minute workout and um, it was, like uh, also... <laughs> T25 beach body uh, voice teaching. <laughs> For the <options>. voice. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Um, so here's, so, you know, as you were working and whatever, I, I don't know, actually know this story. Um, how did you and Ken ever first connect? Yeah. So... Ken Gosh. Bozeman, vocal fam. If you're if you're not, I, sorry. I, I I think insider <laughs> conversations sometimes, and they annoy me. Ken Bozeman, that's what I'm talking about. Also, a good friend of the podcast. I was gonna and, say, yeah. if you listen to us at all, you've probably heard his name. <laughs> so, it yeah, I was, I chose. Uh, it was fateful the project I chose for my doctoral project. 
Um, I didn't okay. choose wisely. Um, <laughs> but How many of us actually do? <laughs> right. So I, I was looking, so this seems like not the answer to your question, but this is how no, it please, starts. Please. <laughs> I, uh, um, I was looking at the declamatory uh, Sprechgesang writing for the role of Adip in George Inescu's opera, Adip. Okay. And I was trying to argue that the it was it was inspired the writing the vocal writing was inspired by a very particular French tragedy and actor. So we're talking late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, um, and there were, I found a recording, a very early recording from the early 20th century of this actor giving a speech from Oedipus. Okay. And I was trying to argue that you could identify aspects of vocal technique in the performance by this actor who studied classical singing, who wrote art songs. Um, he's kind of like the Chaliapin of French uh, tragedy, mm -hmm. uh, French tragic theater. Um, and... I only had two and a half minutes of audio, but it was just, it seemed like totally obvious to me on first listen <laughs> um, that this was what Enescu was trying to capture in this declamatory writing uh, for the opera. And so I was trying to argue about vocal technique and discovering very quickly that the pedagogical jargon that I had at my disposal was completely useless for writing a rigorous academic paper. <laughs> and logical jargon vocal fam. <laughs> so I needed to learn very quickly. It was I was just starting to get access to uh, audio analysis software. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll use this yep. to prove my point. Yeah. And except I didn't know anything about <laughs> vocal acoustics and uh, I, I didn't know the difference between a formant and a harmonic. Um, as I was starting this, I had no idea. I just, it was just beyond me, but I just kept at it for a couple of years, kept like trying to figure this out. And then I, all in the same years, like, 2014, 2013, this, this kind of academic year, right around in there. Um, I got to meet Don Miller and work with him in a workshop and read his book. And then a friend of mine, um, uh, actually Ricardo Sepulveda, who teaches in Puerto Rico now, uh -huh. um, he was like, hey, you've got to check out this Ken Bozeman guy. He, he's presenting at Nats. I think you'd really like his work. And I, I got his book. I watched the presentation and asked, I was like, oh my gosh, this, <laughs> this answer is like all the things I've been struggling with, with for these last few years, trying to understand voice acoustics. And then another friend of mine um, who, uh, who I was working with in Chicago, uh, Angela Young-Smucker was like, Ken Bozeman's having this um, workshop over the summer. You should check it out. I think you'd really dig it. And um, and at the same time, a whole bunch of teachers in the Chicago Nats area were like, "Hey, you you know about acoustics? Can you lead uh, a book club on Ken's book?" 
It's like, okay, I just now know about acoustics. <laughs> but so I, I, uh, I signed up for Ken's workshop and at Bjork Linden. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I wrote for the, the book club for Chicago Nats. I wrote a study guide to kind of help walk people through the book who are still a little bit intimidated by voice acoustics. And, um, and I sent, I was bold enough. I sent Ken a copy of the study guide. He's like, Oh, this is great. Do you mind if we like edit it a little bit and then we'll put it up on the website. And so the the study, I was like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) it's a great study guide to be completely honest. I've used it for classes before. It's a great study guide with the book. <laughs> I just I like Sarah. Look I've at handed it as like a you this study I'm guide. Sure I, was gonna, I wasn't positive if it was the no, same. No, that's one, the one yeah. he's talking about. All right, yeah, it's Chadley's <laughs> yep. guide. I've used so that. It was, was, it was just, just so like, many years ago for you. Now you didn't remember that it was Chadley. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was the one. That was the one, Sarah. So yeah. I was just like, I was just so honored to to, and it was a little like. I, I couldn't believe I was like reaching out to someone who had just like changed my life because yeah. <laughs> I was able to finish my doctorate um, and uh, that that same year. And uh, and then I went up to Bjork London and, and um, just really hit it off with Ken and uh, led some of the like review sessions at night. And um, he kindly asked me to give a presentation on. Um, some of the work I was doing for applying voice acoustics to belting yep. and it kind of started from there. And, um, you know, it, he's had a huge impact on my teaching and on my singing and I just can't thank him enough. It's, 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 uh, yeah, I, I'm thrilled and honored to be a part of this group that is really kind of like seeing how far we can push this. Uh, you know, the, the great thing about Ken to me what so you know my my history goes back quite a bit before that um that uh you know i had i had you know been in don miller's house in the summer of 07 and that was my entryway into all of this was was through don's work and and through don's mentorship and but i remember seeing ken present the first time not long after that it was a couple years later and in 2009 and he was speaking, I, like, I thought I understood, I like, you know, l- listen, vocal fam, as you start learning acoustics, there's a different journey along the path. You have different, <laughs> you have different checkpoints of like, you, you, like, you'll understand one little part of it and then you'll, you'll make an, you'll make another connection and then you'll make another connect, you'll connect another dot and you, and they might not be the same order of the dots that I connected. Your dots may be in a different order. It's fine. But anyway, I remember Ken talking the first time, and the first time, it, this was this would have been at UTSA at POS in 2009, and I didn't understand what he was saying. Like, I didn't, like, he was talking all about the first format and, 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 and you know, like, AMAB, Passaggio, and I was like, ah, but the second format. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, but years later, when he released the book, and you know, I, I, Ken and I had contact, as, you know, after that, and whatever, saw each other again, at least at a few conferences, and definitely, uh, anyway. But um, when he re- when he released the book, um, I got the book like as soon as he said he was releasing it, I, I got it, and I immediately wrote him and I said, "I'm adopting this for my graduate acoustics course. This is now one of the textbooks for for the course," and. Um, I remember 
and I think Ken's great gift to the world is he is such a wonderful translator of the material oh to voice teachers. Yeah. And um, uh, let me tell you, Vocal Fam, if you have not, and I, I want to have Ken on again in the fall to talk about the second edition of Kinesthetic Voice Pedagogy, which includes citation of Chadley and our, our, our good friend Ian. But uh, if you've not bought the second edition of Kinesthetic Voice Pedagogy, even if you have the first edition, I strongly want to recommend that you buy the second edition because I think it is a magnum opus of a wonderful writer and uh, an incredibly gifted thinker about singing. Anyway, uh, Onward from that, I, I, before we get to talking about anything with vibrotactile stuff, I have a quick question <laughs> first. You became known for a very specific, strange exercise. <laughs> How in the world did you come to that? And I actually, I would like to say that I, 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 I use this exercise on a regular basis now, so Vocal Fam, I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> how in the world did you come up with your weird R exercise? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, um... As I started messing around with acoustics, one of the things, one of the aha moments, you, you mentioned the dots, the journey. Yeah. One of the big aha moments for me <clears throat> was realizing that as a teacher and a singer, <clears throat> it's important to reframe the the way it's talked about in the literature. hundred percent. So, in the literature, it is it is described from the point of view of the observer. As in, the formants define the vowels in the radiated sound. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, from the from the singer's point of view, from the subject's point of view, it's the opposite. Right. The vowel the the there's the impulse to communicate that go that's that's uh translate that becomes like the the language which is then the series of of uh motor instructions for the speech motor control and so it's the vowel that moves the formant mm -hmm. yes of course yeah and and i was like okay if i can move a formant it's useful if I can get a student to move formants around with just simple strings of vowels with kind of predicted outcomes, yeah. yeah, knowing which vowels would do what to the spread of the formants, yeah. Um, when I started this very first time singing into uh, spectrum analysis, I would just sit there and just sing harder to try to make it better. <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> no one has. What are you talking about? I thought red was just better. Sorry. And I started, but uh, over time, I was like, oh, wow, movement. That's the key. Like, if I'm, and I'm starting to recognize I'm moving things around and I'm getting better as I go and it feels easier. And, and so I was um, really struggling with how to lead students more clearly, more efficiently to second formant strategies. Mm. Specifically for sopranos, it was mostly sopranos, but mezzos too, but sopranos, treble singers in the singing open vowels in the middle of the treble staff. Mm -hmm. and and uh, non-treble singers and belters how to get into a second formant strategy 
for either their mixed belt or their full uh, head voice. And I knew like from myself working on this, like it's so simple in theory to just line up uh, that second format, but it's really tough to get the body to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I was just, I was constantly looking for new ways to do that and, and thinking about, you know, any form and I can move, you can really do something with. And I was getting ready to go teach one of my 20 lessons in a day days and, uh, reading, um, uh, reading, uh, peer reviewed research as I was getting ready to go teach 20 lessons as you do. And, and I saw this title like that popped up on my list of things to read, um, that, uh, the American R lowers the third formance by 80% or lowers the third formance. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not what my textbooks say. The textbooks say that the first two formants, the vowel formants, they're the ones that move and the rest of them are more or less fixed. And so I got to school and I opened up Bocha Vista video and, and I was like, I got to see how much this moves. And so I said, ah, and it dropped it just like a rock. Like, oh my gosh, that third form is just as movable as the first two. What do I do with this? So I spent like my whole warm up session, that half hour prep time making dumb sounds into my computer and started realizing that I was accidentally overtone singing. Right. And, and then I had uh 15 chamber choir singers one after another come in for their lesson saying hey, we have to overtone sing do you know how to do that i'm like <laughs> this is weird uh <laughs> actually i just accidentally figured out how to do it and so i spent the whole day teaching all these high schoolers how to overtone sing um moving because when you move that r if you sequence it with e and er you start getting a clustering of the second and third formants and that's the the spotlight that gives you overtone singing and that's why we don't sing on r very much and yep. messes with the perception of the pitch mm -hmm. so then the next so i taught that all week and then i was just like okay this was cool uh what else can i do with this and the next week i was working with a kind of emerging artist level soprano who was really struggling with awe in the middle of the staff to the point where it was kind of getting in the way of everything else it was emotionally so taxing to struggle yeah. with this so much that it was it was kind of um wrecking the lesson um and wrecking any progress because anytime that vowel pitch combination would come up everything would fall apart i'm like well let's let's take a break from that let's work on something dumb and we're gonna we're just gonna play around with overtone singing for a second and i started realizing that as as the singer was moving that clustering around that the second formant was getting much stronger. And I started seeing that when they would release back to a regular like awe or something, that that second formant was getting clearer because we were using Voce Vista as we were doing this to get the hang of um, overtone singing. And so I started sequencing that. So uh, E, er, ah. So the E cluster uh, two and three up kind of higher in the spectrum, the ER drop that, move them together through the spectrum, and then the AW to release them back to where we typically find those formants kind of spread out. Mm -hmm. And it worked. All of a sudden she was singing this glorious AW vowel from F, uh, F4 to C5. And then as we would cycle those scales up, 
it would just turn right over into, uh, as Ken's call, has, uh, Ken's term whoop timbre, it would just open up into our upper range just beautifully. And it was this huge breakthrough. I was like, oh my gosh, now, okay, now I'm going to go back and teach this to everybody. And I started <laughs> messing around with this, with my belters, got a lot of belters. So then I started sequencing it this way for the belters. And then we started getting this kind of ridiculously, um, like strong, clear, dark, easy belt that we could use on a lot of different vowels, not just uh, open vowels. Mm -hmm. And um, it it feels really silly and weird and fun. Um, So yeah, uh, so I worked on that like the whole semester. And then the term, I was, uh, I signed up to do a mentored teaching day like a mini Nat, it was like a Chicago Nats, like mini uh, intern day, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Karen Brunson was the master teacher. And so one of my students from one of my schools and I, we were on this master class, this teaching master class. So I taught and, um, and I was like, we're going to demonstrate this weird R thing. Here are the modules again, like in this, in this example, I'm going to have a very clear module that I'm going to teach. Yeah. And, uh, Karen was great. I, I was just getting to know Karen a little bit. And, uh, um, and, uh, she's like, so you, wait a minute, R? She's like, so you just do we're raw. And she's like, Oh, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> um, and, uh, and she was like, Oh, and, and from there she said, well, that's Chadley's weird exercise. And that name is stuck and I couldn't be happier. Um, I think that that describes my teaching to a T <laughs> and, and it's lovely. It's in the book, right? It is. Yeah. In, yeah. 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 It's in Karen's book. Yeah. So, uh, Karen very kindly, uh, asked me to be a contributing author to her book, The Evolving Singing Voice. Plural publication, plural publication. <laughs> yeah. Book podcast. Yeah. And, uh, so Karen and Ken have been just amazing mentors and friends to me. And, uh, so we made sure to have a little section in the book for Chadley's weird exercise. Yeah. It's a great Amazing. contribution to the book. Actually, that's a great book. I think it's one of the best plural publications that evolving singing voice book is it's really a gem of a book. Um, okay. So I want to transition us here because at the workshop, you have a very kind of specific role in that you do application and then the vibro tactile stuff. So. First of all, let's tell the vocal fam if they would like to attend the NEC Acoustic Vocal Pedagogy Workshop this summer, when and how can they do that? Absolutely. So this summer, the workshop will be online. We are hoping for uh, a face-to-face workshop again in In the coming years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But it will be online this summer. Um, And it's June 21st through June 25th. No. And and I also want to point out too the format this year. Last year was a little bit asynchronous with a lot of very large uh, content library of pre-recorded lectures, and then um, a couple weeks of of, of short um, synchronous uh, Q and As. This year, the format is more like a face-to-face workshop, so it is a lot more synchronous. Um, it is primarily synchronous this year, um, and we've tried to make the schedule and set up work for a wide range of time zones, um, but we're doing nice. the best we can. But we really wanted to have that 
synchronous togetherness feeling this year in preparation for returning back to face-to-face in the following year. Yeah. So that's June 21 to 25. It's a Monday through a Friday vocal fam. Um, so if you're still do, is, is an early bird rate up right now? Probably, um, probably I'm, an early bird rate right now <clears throat> still maybe, although it's May 1. I don't know. Um, a lot of early bird discounts uh, went out the window today. Um, or maybe you can still sign up like for that summer virtual. I don't remember if early bird ended yesterday or it ends today. It's one of the two. Um, so you want to check these dates, uh, vocal fam, because the NEC workshops on the NEC website, if you just Google NEC acoustic vocal ped, um, it'll pop up. Um, but the registrations on the NEC website and, and I, I, I highly recommend this vocal fam. If, if you've not uh, had a chance to do the workshop before and hear Ken basically explain acoustic, basic acoustics and hear Ian make you question whether you're a person or not, um, or whether sound actually exists, um, or, or hear all of Chadley's touchy feely stuff. So let's talk about your role in the workshop. What is your role in the workshop? Sure. So, um, I've got, kind of a couple of roles. I'm, I'm looking at how we experience sound as touch and the implications that has for singing. I'm also the person um, of the team that uh, does the most application of this for contemporary singing styles. Mm-hmm. Um, even though now at Stetson, uh, I mostly teach classical. Uh, like I said before, coming up through this, especially in Chicago, I was teaching primarily musical theater and rock singing. Um, and I still teach musical theater and rock singing privately now. Um, and then also through the, the work that it is a teacher and for Karen's book, Evolving Singing Voice, um, there's a lot of, I provide application ideas for adolescent singers. So those are kind of the big areas for me. Sure. So let's talk about this vibro tactile stuff and, and the singer's touch, feeling response and all this kind of stuff. How'd you get there? Yeah, so I was actually writing for Karen's book. Mm-hmm. So when I started, um, hmm, when I started teaching some of the ideas from Ken's work, one of the big things that his work really helped me sort out were all the feelings that I was having while I sang. <clears throat> I always could like rearrange them, change them, shift them around, but I could never find that one setup that worked all the time i could never predict you know i could never sort it out and make it actually a systematic approach that would actually result in predictable singing Mm, um and that really bugged me and and i also remember like an earlier experience where i had a very negative impact on my singing where a sensation i was having at in the mm, around uh f3 the sensation I was having, teacher said, oh, that don't let that change that just happened there happen. And I immediately lost like an octave off my range and almost got fired from grad school is great. Um, (laughs) But but then coming to Ken's work, I was realizing that was the crossing from open to closed timbre. Micro turn or whatever. Yeah. And I see what you're saying. I see what you're you're talking about an eval or an ooh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I got you. I got you. I got you. And, and, and I started to understand, oh, this is where all these sensations happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started working with like where I was feeling like what seemed like 
a centering of vibration or pressure or something. It just felt like a centering. And I started really teaching that and noticing just how strongly my students were reacting to the sensations they were having. And remembering that my memory of my voice change in seventh grade was the first time an uval turned over from open to closed timbre. And it's one of the only memories I have from seventh grade. But I remember it just vividly of sitting in the back row of the choir on a sunny afternoon in Harold Hall on the second floor and all going, oh, and like freaking out (laughs) with how much that changed what I was feeling on the inside. I have no memory like this in my life. (laughs) I I still see the image in my head that I saw at that moment. Wow. Um, And... It was so striking. And then later in high school, like again, like as I would find that turn, just having this overwhelming like somatosensory experience with it. And I still remember those moments still in Harold Hall. That was on a cloudy day when I was in ninth grade. That's very specific. I love <laughs> Yeah. It. So this very strong in a way I teach adolescent um, new baritones how to go into closed timbre they would often giggle and laugh and be like, that can't be right. And they would do the same things I did at that age where I would, I was like, well, this weird jump and sensation that can't be right. So I would make that sensation go away by like singing through my nose and like changing the vowel to avoid that crossing. You're saying that young AMAB singers sometimes sing out their nose. Maybe. Acoustics, voice acoustics are so much simpler if you just sing through your nose the whole time. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was said with a little bit of sarcasm. Uh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. We don't. We don't need to go back to our nose episode. No, no, anyway, no. no. Move, move, move. It, Perna it, has written enough on the nose at this point in his career. He's done writing on it. <laughs> Moving on. So, so anyway, so in my teaching, like. Like the sensations that students were having, that was like a huge key to like, like understanding what they were probably experiencing, noticing that it was kind of universal and kind of predictable. And that my guidance through those shifts in somatosensory experience, that was a really important part of my role in the lesson. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, To not only guide them to a good outcome, but then help them like, uh, deal with what that good outcome felt like. Yeah, because it, it gives them something to take away that they can then do in the practice room. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also help them um, help them avoid like, because usually if there's a big shift in sensation, the first reaction kind of reflexively even is like, that can't be right. Yes. Um, so yes. so I was, I'm writing about this for evolving singing voice and and Karen being the amazing mentor she is she's like well we can't we have to go deeper than that I'm like okay I'm like oh no I've just taken it upon myself in my first writing project to talk about placement this is this is gonna go great <laughs> what have I done to myself and so I was really obsessed with the vibrations I was feeling in this and that was what I had been focusing on. So I was like, okay, well, I can't answer placement. That's not possible. But maybe maybe there's something out there in the scientific literature on how we experience vibration. Maybe that'll give me some insight 
into this. And it turns out that yes, there is over a hundred years of research into touch and specifically vibration. And, and it's actually pretty clear how we experience sound as touch. Um, there are, there are certain, um, receptors throughout the body that, that, um, that process or that, uh, that allow us to experience vibration in the world. Exactly. And, and then all the pieces starting, started coming together like, okay, we need to realize that there's this one mechanical energy that we experience as two different phenomena. That there's this mechanical energy in our environment that we experience as touch and that we experience as sound, but it's the same energy. And just like we have a pretty clear picture of the receptors, the mechanical receptors in our in our cochlea and how the hearing um, mechanism works, we have a pretty, pretty good understanding of the bandwidth. Right. That we can experience this mechanical energy as sound we have that same understanding of the receptors throughout our body that pick up that mechanical energy that we perceive as vibration. And they have a different bandwidth. And so this is, there, there are some that uh, pick up very, very low frequency vibration. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that is associated with, with grip and touch and shape. And then there is this one, <laughs> this is my favorite word, uh, there is a corpuscle that specializes in high frequency vibration okay. and it is called a Pacinian corpuscle and it's an afferent nerve ending wrapped in like this laminated casing and it's throughout our skin. Um, it's, uh, there are, especially in the hands, um, there are a lot of them in the hands, um, and uh, where we have no hair follicles, they're pretty close to the surface. Where we have hair follicles in the skin, they're deep down by the bones and joints. And they pick up a range of vibration from, and the bottom end of this range is, oh, there's a lot of crossover with some others, but roughly 80 hertz all the way up to 1,000 hertz. Now, a thousand hertz compared to hearing is not very high. Mm -hmm. No, but it has some very specific acoustic ramifications. Uh huh. <laughs> and and these Pacinian corpuscles also are most sensitive to vibrations within a pretty small window of that overall range, and it's right around two hundred fifty to three hundred hertz, which is right around middle C, <laughs> as we're extremely sensitive to the touch of sound I like that phrase <laughs> um <laughs> by the way vocal fam just to put it into context for you that's around middle c a thousand hertz is really close to soprano high c yep c6 mm. okay just to put you in a generalized pitch range it's not an exact number because frequency and pitch are not exact but just to give you a reference point that's where that would be um or if you're thinking as a otherwise uh singer thinking about different resonances like if you were a tenor singing an f4 that would be your third harmonic of f4 which also has implications anyway moving on yeah so 
Yeah, big implications. Big implications, actually. There is not a receptor in the body, at least that is currently <laughs> uh, been discovered, or that there's any evidence of from just response to vibration. There is nothing that receives these vibrations as touch above a thousand hertz. Oh, how did you, how do you find these out? Like, well, I, that's, I, that might be a really open-ended question. <laughs> no, as far as like academic talent goes, my talent is in rabbit holes of lots of peer reviewed research. I am a, a maniac when it comes to just chasing down bibliographies wow. um, and going way too deep into like starting with a question like how do we feel sound how do we feel vibration how does that work to ending up looking at um peer-reviewed research on uh building better prosthetics for amputees and using vibrotactile inputs to enhance prosthetics and then bringing that around to understanding how we experience the singer's formant cluster in our own singing okay that's Go ahead. No, that's just, I'm just think that's really cool. Like, especially with the prosthetics and that's the cool. prosthetics thing is one of my favorite actually references. Um, we're going to run short on time here in a minute. And I don't want, cause I, I know some of us have another appointment, but I want to, I want to give the vocal fam a little tease and an incentive to attend the acoustic vocal ped workshop with this little bit that Chadley just set up. If those um, mechanoreceptors, is that a fair word to say? Mm -hmm. That's the word. <laughs> Have a frequency bandwidth that ends at a thousand hertz. Resonances of the vocal tract that interact and engage lower harmonics at a thousand hertz only encompasses basically one resonance, that being your first vocal tract resonance, maybe the second one of ooh. Um, so, okay, fine. Um, but that, it, 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 it actually has some very specific implications because the absolute spectral tone color of most of those frequencies is also ooh, or mm. your rounder frequencies. And, they and if you listen to them filtered, they account for the warm, round, darker part of the spectrum which means that the vibrations that you are feeling in your face <laughs> are your dark scuro timbre not what you think as your buzzy forward timbre and so if you'd like to hear more about that, what you should do, because I, what I just told you, Vocal Fam, is it means that the dark is in the front and the bright is in the back. Welcome to the world that you will encounter at the Acoustic Vocal Pedagogy Workshop. So if you are listening and you try that this afternoon and you try to put <laughs> bright in the back and you're dark in the front and you go, oh my God, why is singing this easy? That's why, and you should go attend the workshop. If you instead say, that's heretical, Perna, you, that's never the case. You can't <laughs> do that. That's destroying 400 years of voice pedagogy. 
That's also the reason that you should come and attend the non-confrontational, very welcoming, and open-minded acoustic vocal pedagogy workshop at New England Conservatory this summer with Chadley and Ian and Ken. And I think Bodo's going to do a lecture for you guys on Voce Vista. And Kayla's still supervising. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, the rest of us who were on, on, on the ride for last summer, um, uh, we'll, we'll hope to be maybe be back in 2022. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, come learn from the, the experts this summer and uh, hear more about the, the crazy idea that I just kind of took from Chadley's and, and summarized <laughs> it so we didn't run out of time. Um, has some incredible implications some incredible implications that I now use in my teaching on a daily basis. And those of you who are studying with me have been the benefit of that. And, uh, you know, on your weird exercise too, I took Yvonne's exercise from our treble middle voice exercise, mm. the blue, 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 violet, red, violet, red, violet, red. and the red, 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 red. And now I'm accentuating the er part of the red, 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 red in the belt. Because it also has a little bit of an SOVT effect too. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some great stuff. Some great stuff. Great stuff. All right, Chadley, because um, this is your, you know, we're, we're talking about this stuff. This is actually your episode. We need to know what other interests you've actually had in your life. <laughs> uh, you've been in your pandemic year. What has been your pop culture interest or your little release that you've watched or read or anything? Oh, gosh. Um, I, 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 in preparing for this episode, I was realizing just how much I unplug my brain when, <laughs> when I'm not um engaged and so i'm not sure i have a great pop culture uh release right now because it's it's the same old stuff um and i've run out of episodes of forged in fire yeah uh, tell us about that <laughs> i don't think you've talked about forged in fire on the podcast <laughs> well a I, I think I mentioned it the Did last we? time I was on. Yes, yeah. that was my first time hearing about it. And I went and I told my brother-in-law, I was like, have you heard of this? And he's like, Sarah, of course I've heard of this. <laughs> oh. So, so my, my main thing that's kind of in the pop culture zeitgeist right now is, is follow along work, workouts. So it's not a TV show, but there's a couple content creators that I've been doing at home kettlebell and dumbbell workouts and nice. hit workouts every day for the last year now 13 months now wow um so i i gave nice. up one very not uh healthy uh coping mechanism that i relied on early in the pandemic and took on one that's much healthier <laughs> Good for that's you. And, that's awesome. uh, so yeah my my pop culture has been uh mad fit and joe wicks and and some uh some other uh british isles people who love to swing kettlebells around their living rooms nice <laughs> nice right. love it i love that that's awesome look at that bringing the bringing the health and fitness back sarah I like it. Yeah. Remember when Michael was all into like grok squats? Very vaguely, but I feel like I've it was like back in season one. Yeah, well, that's probably yeah. true too. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, Chadley, thank you so much um, yes. for being part of the Vocal Fam and for coming on with us uh, to do this. This is this is great. I'm glad we finally got around to doing it. Um, and, and 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 thank you for part of being part of the Vocal Fam. Oh my gosh, yeah. my pleasure. Uh, Sarah, what you have for breakfast? Oh, I had um, a protein muffin. A pro? Well, hey, you would actually be sort shocked. of healthy. I have, protein. I have, I have eaten so healthy this week; it's not even funny. It was depressing. I'm going to be real. I a lot of fruit and vegetables, like vegetables. 
a lot of vegetables. I love vegetables. I don't. I had this last night. There were way too many peas in it. And like, I was really upset. Jamie's laughing at me because he made it. And he saw me over there just sitting, poking at it. And he was like, yeah, anyway, this week I was very healthy. And we'll see what next week holds. Listen, Vocal Fam, I'm just going to give you one real quick pop culture thing from me as, as, as we end here. Let me just tell you. I, I know we talked about it a long time ago. But in my lunch breaks and in my gym time right now when I'm lifting weights, I'm re-watching Voltron. <laughs> that series is so amazing. It is so good. good. I know you guys think we, like the one from the 80s. Well, yeah, that's great too. But I'm talking about the Netflix no, show the Netflix from the one. last few years. It is such good writing. Mm. Oh my gosh, is it good writing. Anyway, that's it. Um, that, that's there, there's, there's been my release here because April lasted 17 years. Um, a while, (laughs) it took a while, but it's May 1st. It's going to be May. Um, Oh. Oh, I made that reference to one of my students this week and she gave me this blank stare and it was just heartbreaking. I didn't even know, by the way, can I just say on April 25th, I, I, I saw all the memes on the 25th. I've never known that reference. Oh my gosh. I don't even ever think I've ever seen someone share the meme before. It's January 25th. Not too April hot, not too 25th. cold, whatever. Okay, well, you... I don't remember I feel that like ever. Olivia would love the movie Miss Congeniality. Well, eventually, probably. That's eventually. True. But like, that movie is like a classic, a staple. And, uh, that hey, meme is a staple. But real quick before we go, big shout out to my student, Andrew Fahrenbacher, just finishing up oh, a run yeah. of Bronx Tale in Florida. Uh, congratulations, Andrew. Proud of you. Um, and uh, all right, Vocal Fam, that's it. We're out. Uh, we'll be back next week. Angelica Nair on her new plural publication, which is now already mm-hmm. out. Thought it might be a preview episode, but actually the book is out. So that's coming up next week. All right, Vocal Fam, that's it. We out. Peace. Bye.